0: Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today I have a really informative discussion with Dominic Rinaldi. Dominic is the owner and managing partner of Sun Acquisitions, a Chicago-based mergers and acquisitions firm. He's also a speaker, author, and host of the popular M&A Unplugged Podcast. Sun specializes in helping owners of privately held businesses acquire and sell businesses. Dominic has been personally involved in over 300 plus business transactions across a broad range of industries. Today we discuss a number of topics, but the key themes are how to maximize the value of your business for sale and or for fundraising purposes, why and how to make sure your business is ready for sale before you need it, basically plan for the worst and hope for the best. Instead of starting a business, a very viable alternative is to buy a business and grow it. It might even be easier to think, and especially when you think about the statistics of you know how many businesses actually make it to a million or 10 million, this is a really interesting alternative. Plus, why he started a new business to complement his current one. I learned a lot from this interview, and have started applying many of the things I learned to my own businesses. Enjoy, and now on to the interview hey good morning Dominic welcome to the podcast hey Brett thank you so much for having me Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And you know, to kick us off, why don't you give us the audience a little bit of a background on you and Sun Acquisitions and what you guys are working on? And then we'll, we'll get into the meat of it.
1: Sure. So I'm the owner and managing partner of Sun Acquisitions. We're a lower middle market mergers and acquisitions firm. We essentially help people buy and sell businesses. We've been around for 20 years. We're approaching our 400th transaction this year and we represent both buyers and sellers. So if you're looking to buy, we can help you get out in the marketplace and do that. Or if you're looking to sell, help you prepare for that and then get you out into the marketplace.
0: Awesome. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the program was to kind of talk about, you know, as founders are starting to build their companies, what should they be thinking about end game? I know way too many folks think about, well, and rightfully so, how do I get my next sale or where the next one's coming? But, you know, when you and I were chatting offline, when you start to work with businesses to sell, there's a lot of different things that you have to go through that if they would have been focused on from the beginning, it, it would help. But before there, I'm just curious why and how you got into the MA space.
1: Yeah. So probably like some of the people who are listening and folks that are looking to start up, was out looking for a business to buy. And in the process of looking for a business to buy, I got focused at some point in time on the people who were supposedly trying to help me do that. And I became disillusioned with the sort of support that was out there available in my market. And it led me to do some research and some discovery and six months you know, of looking into it and that process led me to acquiring Sun Acquisitions uh, 15 years ago.
0: All right. That's awesome. And some of my favorite founder stories are definitely the ones where you were solving a problem for yourself and realized that there's got to be a better way to do this in the marketplace. And 15 years later and 400 plus transactions, you know, here you are. <laughs> exactly. Well,
1: it's been a great ride.
0: That's awesome. And before we do, the other thing I want to mention is your podcast too, and maybe we'll, we'll definitely reference it at the end and add to the show notes. But you know for folks interested in learning it's a really good well done podcast that i would say what 80 percent talk about the mergers and acquisitions with different experts in this space but maybe just give you a couple seconds to talk about you know the podcast as well
1: yeah so a little over a year ago we launched the podcast and it's called m&a unplugged it's on all the major channels platforms And the reason I launched it was because after doing transactions for 15 years and watching the same movie play out over and over again, and that movie was fully prepared to either exit their business or acquire a business, I thought, we have to do our part with all the knowledge from all the deals that we've done to help educate people. and podcasting seemed like the new medium to do it. And so we started the podcast and we interview buyers and sellers who have done transactions so we can learn, people can learn from, you know, their transactions. And we bring on professionals, accountants and attorneys and, you know, third-party consultants who can add value to people, whether they're looking to buy or sell. And it was also the precursor for launching our new business, K2 Advisor. And that business is solely focused on helping people prepare. So we're not transactional at all, only going to help people prepare for selling their business or prepare for acquiring a business.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And what a great segue. And we didn't even plan that, but <laughs> <laughs> it is a great transition to all right, I'm a founder. I've got some traction. You know, a lot of the things that we focus on is, you know, some of the tactics or strategies to help you scale. So I've got to, a, you know, half a million in revenue and I want to get to 10. You know, it's very different than going from, you know, $100 to a million dollars. But one of the themes, and areas we haven't discussed is what should I be thinking about at the end game you know I always advise people think about what you want from the company it may change and pivot but you know the fact that you've started a new company or new division of the company to focus on helping people think about it you know if you don't mind you know kind of why don't you walk us through maybe the biggest mistakes you see people make and then we can kind of what they should be thinking about as they're starting to grow their business.
1: Yeah. So what I tell people who own businesses, whether, you know, they're in the startup phase or it's a more mature business is always be thinking about the end game. Like what is your ultimate end game? And if it's to exit the business or to merge it, you know, with another business, there are many things that you can do along the way to ensure that you maximize the value of your business and minimize the risks in that transaction. And the only other thing that I would add to that statement is understand that the date that you think, you know, you might want to do this might not be the date on the calendar that it happens. And so, you know, just to be illustrative about that, the date could come because it's opportunistic somebody approaches you and said, "Hey, you know, have you ever thought about maybe merging if we put our two companies together and you hadn't really thought about it. All of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a merger discussion and you hadn't planned for it and you hadn't done the things that would maximize value. The other thing that could happen unfortunately is life happens and you know you could get diagnosed with an illness or there could be a partnership breakup or a divorce that could force you to have to exit the business. And if you're being forced out and haven't done the things that you need to do to maximize value, you know, you've left money on the table and there's no reason to do that because this isn't rocket science. The things that we talk to people about how to prepare are all things that are within people's reach and they can do with a little bit of time and effort. You know, doing what you do is much harder, right? Getting your business from a million to 10 million, that's a bit harder. The stuff I talk about is blocking and tackling and you can get there. You just have to know what it is and the steps to take, you know, with some guidance to achieve those
0: things. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you're right. It You never know what's coming around the corner. So I worked with a guy who had to sell his business, very profitable business, because they were getting a divorce and he, he needed to get a percentage of it so he could sell it off to his wife. And he just hadn't prepared for that easy. I always tell my kids, you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best, right? Exactly. Sounds exactly exactly what you guys are doing. And I see
1: that all the time. And people, when they're faced with that, their immediate thing is, well, what's the value of my business? Because they had no idea. And then we tell them the value of their business and they're shocked. They're like, oh, my business can't be worth it. It's got to be worth three times that. Well, it's not. And here's why it's not. It might've been worth three times that if you had done X, Y, and Z but they didn't take the time to do it ahead of time. And now they're getting less than
0: optimal value and maybe even taking on risk that they didn't need to take on. Got it. And would this also apply is, you know, I spend more time probably in the venture capital world, but I mean, at the end of the day, evaluation is evaluation. So whether you're raising money or selling or merging, you want to, you know, kind of maximize the value of what that business is. So regardless of Again, back to your point, what's your end game? Are you raising money? You know, from day one, you should be thinking about how to maximize it. So perfect. All right, so maybe with that's a nice little, what are some of the, so if I'm early on, what are some of the fundamental things that I should be doing as I'm starting to grow my business and thinking about, I know it's probably more than just, hey, this is what I want to happen, right? What kind of needs to happen as you mature with the business?
1: Yeah, so at the highest level, there are things that drive value. We call them value drivers of a business. And understanding what they are and understanding how to grow your business so that each of those drivers, you know, there's a spectrum of value for each of those drivers, each of them is optimized to the highest level possible, right? I mean, you can't probably achieve 100% in all of the value drivers, but if you can move the needle or grow your business with these things in mind, then you've got you know a good shot at having maximum value and you know as you would imagine the value drivers some of them are static across all industries and then some change depending on the industry so it's you know a set list we'd have to talk to the owner about what they're doing in their industry and so on and so forth but to give you an example of one or two one of the big ones is client concentrations so a lot of businesses especially startups Will start on the heels of one big client and they never break out of having that one big client and that one client dominates and represents the lion's share of their revenues. Well, one sure way to hammer your value is to have one or two or three clients that represent the lion's share of your revenue because now anybody coming in and looking to value that business or buy that business is saying, well, look, if one of these clients leaves, You're out of business. same thing with vendors, vendor concentrations. We just had this happen the other day. We have a deal that's in diligence. We have an accepted offer. Buyer and seller are working to get it to the closing table. Our client's largest vendor, which represents the lion's share of their revenue and their profits, decided that they're pulling the plug on our client and they're going direct to customers they don't have a suitable alternative. They put all their eggs in one basket. The deal is dead. The clients now are faced with having to resurrect their business and rebuild it, and they're at retirement age. You know, if you're 30 or 40 and you get that news, you might be resilient enough to have the energy to do it. retirement age, you know, you're ready to move to the next phase, and now you're faced with a situation where – you know, you're having them rebuild a business and there wasn't any disclosure, you know, so it's not like the vendor found out the deal was happening and they decided to pull the plug. Nobody had noticed them. So it was completely independent of that. And, and so this is a great example of, you know, don't become dependent on any one client, any one vendor, and by the way, any one employee that could also be a downfall
0: in value. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely would have thought, you know, the client concentration makes sense, right? All your eggs in one basket's never, never a good strategy. So maybe just sticking with that one for a second from, I know it, it varies, but it, you know, a good rule of thumb is your largest customer should be no more than 30% of your revenue, 40%. What's ideal? 1%. 1%. Interesting. Okay. You know, I mean, you're asking me ideal, right? Sure. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Ideal is to build a business that has recurring revenue not repeat recurring revenue where no one client represents 1% of your, you know, more than 1%. That's ideal, right? Sure. Now is it realistic? In some cases it is, in many cases it's not, but when you start to tip above 10% where one client represents more than 10%, you're now entering the danger zone, especially depending on what the profit margin of that one client is if it's a high profit margin so it contributes a lot to the bottom line, losing 10% of revenue could be catastrophic to your bottom line. So you want to build a business that has as much recurring revenue as possible. And the poster child for recurring revenue is the insurance industry or, you know, a software business getting money every month, you know, a subscription model where you get paid every month for the services that are being rendered. It's a great way to build a business.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. It makes sense. 10%, I'd say I've learned something already with Target. And the other thing I love about the the service business, right, it used to be software as a service, but I'm starting to see other companies adopt that model. You know, one, I think Peloton, they're still charging you a full for the bike, but there's another fitness band called Whoop. Mm -hmm. We don't pay for the band at all. You just pay your, you know, $15 a month for the service and they send you the band, right? Which is completely different than what Fitbit or Apple Watch or some of those other ones were doing. So are you starting to see maybe some more traditional non-subscription type businesses moving to subscription? I mean, it's ideal if you can figure out how to get that reoccurring revenue. I think we're heading that way, right? curious if you're starting to see any of that yet.
1: I am. And if you're not doing it, you need to be thinking about it. And if you think your business, if you don't think you can add a recurring revenue model to your business, I challenge you to put together an advisory board and spend a half a day with the advisory board, buy them lunch or dinner or whatever, and brainstorm with them. And I guarantee you, you're going to get six ideas. And one of them is probably something that you could really pursue Every business has the opportunity to bring a recurring model into it. You just have to think outside the box. Yeah. And if you can add a recurring revenue model into your existing business, the value of your business is going to skyrocket.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Note that audience, pay attention and think as you're building, what can you build, right? I still talk to some data analytics companies that were looking at a more custom, you know, we'll do this project. I'm like, well, what happens if you charge, you know, $995 a month and these are the things that you include as part of it and yep. move on. So no, I love that. And before we move on to maybe a couple of the value drivers, just curious from like vendor concentration, I definitely get the employee concentrate. You got one guy or one person, one woman that's doing a lot, it puts it at risk. But is typically our vendors disclosed as part of the paperwork? But to me, that would be an easy one to overlook, right? As you're going through the diligence process, right?
1: You can't overcome who your vendors are. And when you're in diligence and it's easy for somebody to see what percentage. Of your sales, you know, coming from that, you know, that vendor's product, okay. and so it's easily discoverable in diligence. And so, look, sometimes you can't avoid it, right? But to the extent that you can, you should, and work hard to make sure that you know, even if you have a majority of your business coming from one vendor, that you have a backup solution. So, if that vendor ever changes their go-to-market strategy. You can quickly slot some another vendor's products in, you know, not give that other vendor an opportunity to go direct and cut you out.
0: Now, it makes sense. You know, a lot of the things we talk about too, or I talk about now is the... You know, being more platform agnostic, right? So if your differentiator is technology, <laughs> you get like a three month or a six month head start if you're lucky. Right. The way people can replicate it, so it comes back down to the services and yep. it, that you can provide. So it makes- yeah,
1: sure, the value add, like you know, so just passing a product on, or can you add some value in that stream, right, upstream or downstream, so that it's hard for people to cut you out. Yeah, makes sense.
0: Okay, awesome. And so if we looked at those as one of the, I'm guessing, core based on client concentration, what are a couple of the other value drivers? That they-
1: You know, the other big one that I would mention is, it's very easy, especially when you're starting a business, to do a lot of things in the business as the owner of the business. You know, to be the number one salesperson, to make all the decisions, to set the strategy, to be involved intimately with all the financials. And to some degree, that's appropriate early on, right? You need to understand what clients are saying. You need to get that feedback firsthand. But at some point in time, as quickly as possible, you should remove yourself from as many of those processes as you can and hire people so that you're not, in any way, shape or form in the middle of anything that's going on in your business and you're directing the activities. And here's why it's so important because somebody new coming into your business, valuing it and maybe potentially wanting to buy it is looking very closely at how much that business is reliant on you, the owner. And the less reliant that business is on you, the less risk there is in somebody coming in and taking it over. And so as you can imagine less risk means more value. Yeah. And so as an owner you want to work really hard as many of functional areas and processes as possible. And the side benefit of all of that is you're going to be a much happier owner. You're going to have more free time, you're going to have time to be strategic, to form strategic partnerships, maybe even start other businesses. You know, you can lead your business in a much better way. If you know it's functioning day in and day out, and you've increased the value of your business tremendously.
0: Interesting. And the companies you've worked for that are looking to, to sell the company where the owner is still heavily invested in a lot of processes—that's something we say, hey, you know, go work on this and then come back and, you know, reposition it a little bit better once It's
1: exactly what our new business is about. K2 Advisor. That's exactly what we're gonna be doing with owners is working with them on, you know, if this is a deficiency seeing how we can get them out of those processes and maybe move those responsibilities to existing employees. In some cases, maybe they need to bring somebody in from the outside. So, and if they have to bring somebody in from the outside, it might delay an exit for, you know, a year or two, but if they have existing employees that can take over some responsibilities, the path to doing that is much faster.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Now it makes sense. And, I guess one more question for you on the, the value drivers. Yeah, it's interesting because I was thinking more when we first started having the conversation, I was thinking more about like tax advantages or the way they structure the company. But yeah, the two biggest value drivers is your business, man. It's customers, vendors, and then how involved you are in the business is, right. which is good, which is great, right? Because most of us would rather focus on the business than some of the legal or structural pieces of it. Is there a couple of pieces of advice you'd have for how to set up the company or thinking about the company as you're growing it? I know that's-
1: I don't because that is so client specific, right? I mean, every situation is so different. So, you know, I'd be steering people in the wrong direction if I gave them specific advice. Get yourself a good accountant. And by the way, when you get a good accountant, get somebody that understands exits So business sales, because you should not only be thinking about what's appropriate for formation, but how does it impact an exit 20, 30, 10 years down the road so you're minimizing your tax liabilities? Like you said earlier, start with the end in mind, right? And even if you don't think you're going to sell it, you should still ask those questions so that you have a good understanding. So, if something's forced on you, at least you've set it up the right way to minimize your taxes down the road.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And I guess maybe. And just- not
1: every accountant, by the way, the one thing, not every accountant yeah. understands MA, mergers and acquisitions, and business sales. So, while you may have a great accountant, you might have to go get the advice of somebody, you know, an accountant that does a lot of work in mergers and acquisitions. And by the way, same thing goes for an attorney. You know, an attorney is going to form your business, set up the formation of your, but if they don't do M&A work, they might not be thinking down the road, well, here's some things we should do so that, you know, when you go to sell it, it's going to be easy.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe just to follow on with the accountant, right, it's all of us that have watched Shark Tank. It's, you know, know your numbers. And when you're going to look to sell the business, you know, is it specific, if the numbers aren't cleaner, you don't have your package, which comes back to the accountant, you're going to have to go back and redo all the numbers. So is that kind of just a fundamental <laughs> yeah. Make sure that you're building towards it? Or is there anything else you'd add into the financial aspect?
1: Well, so, you know, there's so much to cover on the financial aspect, right? I mean, I advise is get a really good accountant, somebody who really understands taxation and if your end goal is to merge or, or, you know, sell the business at some point down the road, and most people, that's their goal because they want to realize their hard work and get a return. Understand, you know, how to run your financials so that you maximize business. So you maximize the value of the business. And by the way, there's lots of things you can do to maximize value. And there's lots of things that happen typically that, sucks the value out of the business so and you can make that decision consciously and many do but at least know yeah. you
0: know the impact of your decision now makes sense and like i said it's better to know this early rather than late and try to scramble because some events pushed you into doing it and right makes sense all right awesome all right so i wanted to pivot a little bit and get your perspective and i can't remember who i heard on a podcast probably a year and a half ago and the advice was to founders that are looking to start businesses. You know, and we all know the stats that 95 percent of those businesses fail over time. Why not just buy a business? You know, you've got the built in platform and then go grow it versus looking at it from hey, I'm just going to start it from scratch. And I know you do both buy and sell. Love to get your perspective on on that approach. You know, instead of starting a company, go find a company and and try to look to scale it. You yeah, that.
1: So first, I drank my own Kool-Aid, right? So I bought a business, right? I didn't start one. And that was a real option for me. I mean, I could have started it versus buying it, but I bought something for many of the reasons that you just highlighted. It had a brand, there was goodwill, there were employees, there were processes, clients. I mean, you plug into Somebody else's hard work now as long as the foundation is a good foundation and that's where diligence comes in, right? So you need to make sure that business is a good fit for you But if it is you walk into all of that foundational work That's done and the additional thing that you should be walking into is ongoing revenues and profits profits that even if you have to take a loan to buy the business should cover the loan payments and pay you a salary versus now you go to start a business, you've got none of that. And how are you going to survive in the meantime? So I think one of the fallacies is it's much cheaper to start a business, but if you really look at it, the converse might be really the answer is, is buy an existing business because you still have to invest in all the marketing and the sales And fund all of those operations and then if you're not pulling in any income and you have you know lifestyle to maintain you're taking money out of your savings to fund all of that until you can turn a profit and with that failure rate with the 90 to 95 percent failure rate you may never get to profitability so you've taken all this money that you've invested into a venture and your odds of success are very low whereas if you take the same amount or maybe even less money and invest it in buying a business, you get an immediate return. And the immediate return is all those profits that are being generated year in and year out.
0: Interesting. No, I love the idea and the concept. And you know, one of the things I talked about really early on is you started or bought a business to help solve this problem. And I, I did look at into this a number of years ago, but it's really hard to, Find those businesses that were for sale, and the process was kind of messy, right? You go to a website and they've got 12 or 30 different businesses for listed, and you know, click here and we give more details, and you may not. So, it's just really clunky. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe other than working with you guys, which I would highly recommend, is you know, what if I am thinking about it on this end, what are some good first steps to try to identify, you know, what businesses are out there? Do you have any advice for would be buyers?
1: So, it depends on whether or not uh, you're a high net worth individual or just an individual buyer or you're a company looking to grow through acquisition. Okay. And so, the first thing is I can't stress this enough prepare yourself, understand what is involved in buying a business and all the things that are going to be necessary, and make sure that you're fully prepared. Because if you're fully prepared, When the right opportunity comes along, you'll be able to act very quickly and you'll need to because right now in today's market, and this might not be what people are thinking, it's incredibly active. Really? There are enormous number of buyers in the marketplace and there's so much money looking for a home and acquisitions is one of the best ways to grow. And so even right now during this pandemic, our buyer a market internally is higher than it's ever been in fact we just did a snapshot of the last month compared to the same period last year and our buyer activity is up by almost 50 percent
0: really figure
1: that out we're in the middle of a pandemic and our buyer activity is up that much
0: opportunistically looking for things or fundamentally are they changing okay
1: no it's not no look there are a good number of people out there that are being opportunistic right but there are a lot of companies that are doing very well in this pandemic there are some that have been crushed we all know you know what's happening with restaurants and retail but there are many sectors that have enjoyed growth during this pandemic and so buyers they're looking for these good assets and so what's really happened is you've got companies who are stagnating and looking for ways to grow and an acquisition is a great way to grow whether it's acquire a competitor or you know a value added service that they can plug into their existing business and then you have a lot of individual investors who either have lost their jobs or they're underemployed or they're tired of being whipsawed in corporate America and want to control their freedom. They want to take control of their lives and their destiny. And owning a business is a tremendous way to do that. And it's a tremendous way to build wealth, actually. And so we're seeing a ton of those buyers come out and decide, you know, maybe now is the right time for me to get off of the corporate roller coaster and control my own destiny.
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense, and I think we've all been there in the corporate, <laughs> yeah. an elevator ride. That you know, I think more and more people are going to opt out of just as as we, they've got a taste of what some flexibility and freedom in the the workplace looks like. Maybe if I can hit you with one macro question, and yeah. I mean to take you off. But you know, I spent almost my entire career in the B two B space, and you know, on the mountaintops basically saying, hey, the transformation's coming, digital's coming, your buyers want to do things differently. And it's just been really slow. And we saw with SaaS and some of those startups come to change the process, but there's still a fundamental gap in the way they approach it. I'm just curious if you're seeing a much bigger opportunity where some of these larger B2B companies aren't making the pivot and it's either opening the door for startups or somebody to come in and basically modernize these, these businesses. I'm just curious if you're seeing anything at the more macro level like that. Yeah, look, so
1: we see that a lot where people haven't pivoted, they haven't adapted to the new digital world and new competitors come in that are a little bit more tech savvy and understand digital and they can grab market share pretty easily. Because I don't know what the stat is, you probably know better than I, but how many searches start on Google? when somebody's interested in something, right? And that is across, you know, every aspect of our lives, you know, B2B services, you name it. Right. And what really surprises me is how slow people have been to, you know, adapt to this new world and even implement changes to their websites or upgrade their websites or make them more search engine friendly and more searchable in general, I still come across, believe it or not, companies who don't even have websites. And I'm amazed every time I see that, I'm like, how do you operate without a website? It just seems like, I mean, that's such a basic thing. So yes, I think there's a ton of opportunity. And by the way, I would mention, if you're a buyer and you see this happening, and if it's a good fundamental business, I wouldn't be afraid of that. I would embrace that because... Think about the upside potential if you understand digital and can plug that into a business that hasn't
0: embraced it or taken advantage of those opportunities. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I think that's, that's really great advice. And you know, so thanks for bearing with me as we went down the rabbit yeah, hole. No problem. <laughs> All right. I know we're running low on time and I really appreciate you taking it. And I want to be respectful of the time we have left. So two questions left for you. One is, you know, what's next for you? You've mentioned the new advisory service company that's live or coming out soon. You know, what else is that going to be top of mind here the next quarter for you guys?
1: My MA practice, our MA practice is is really jamming right now. We're very busy. We've got a lot of deals in diligence. We've got a lot of deals that we're looking at. And so we're very active on that side of the business. But we did launch K2 Advisor, and we're very actively now marketing that. And we've got our first couple of clients that we're working with. And trying to help prepare for an acquisition or a sale. And so we've started that and we're going to put a lot of focus into that because we really want to move the needle and help people when they're selling, maximize the value, when they're buying, you know, maximize their returns and minimize their risks. And so I'm excited to see what the potential is there. I think we can really help people
0: yeah i think it makes a lot of sense and like said when i went through the the journey a a bit ago it was hard to find any of those people to help again it wasn't pre-internet two and a half years ago where this industry probably wasn't as online as it needed to be and can be in in the services and you know hopefully listening to you today no matter what side right if you're looking to sell here's the thing you know client concentrations be aware you know the reoccurring revenue on the flip side if you see opportunities where some of these companies aren't doing it you know there could be some arbitrage is probably too strong of a word, but opportunity to grow the business. So I think this has been really, really helpful. And my last question that I ask everybody is what is one thing that you would highly recommend? And it could be personal or business. Yeah. Something that's top of mind for you right now. Only one, huh? (laughs) (laughs) For me personally,
1: the one thing that sets every day up for me is my morning routine. I have I have a morning routine. It works for me. And if I didn't have that routine on the days that I miss it for one reason or another, and it happens from time to time, I'm off. And so I'm very intentional about how I start my day. It's made all the difference for me, especially during the pandemic. I, I always did it but especially during the pandemic, working from home, it's easy to, you know, fall into bad habits. Yes. And it's really set me apart. And if you're going to give me the opportunity to mention a bonus, Please. the bonus that I would mention, and I think lots of people know this, but, you know, always be pushing yourself to learn new things and try new things. And it's amazing what doors open for you and how your mind expands when you're just open to learning new stuff and this past year and a half probably i've made it you know my personal journey to you know try to learn new things that got me out of my comfort zone like podcasting by the way 100%. i'm not you know outside of my zone but it's been tremendous and to see the growth in our following and the people that we've helped and how it pushed me personally to learn new skills, it's been tremendous. So those are the two things.
0: Yeah, those are both really good. Again, I mentioned in the beginning, really good podcast. Check it out. So if you're interested at all in, you know, buy, sell, which everybody should, if you're in the business space, you know, check it out. It's really well done. And I used to be more of a night owl, or at least I told mm-hmm. myself I was night owl probably months ago. So pre-pandemic switched to the morning routine. Uh-huh. I do it it's seven days a week. I may get up a little bit on the weekends, but it's still the same process. And it just really helps me. So I feel the first half of my day, at least through mid morning, I'm highly productive because I've got it structured and this is the way it works. And then all hell can break loose the rest of the schedule. But I'm with you. It was something I wish I would have adopted a long, long time ago. So, and I'm also with you. Always be learning, right? You're never too yeah. old to learn. And if you're not learning, the world's going to pass you by because it's moving.
1: Absolutely. Really yep.
0: So, well, Dominic, thank you very much. And my last thing is what's the best place for people to reach out and find you? We talked about the podcast and. Yeah. LinkedIn, the website, what's the best place?
1: Yeah. I'd offer up my email address, Rinaldi at sunacquisitions.com. It's D-R-I-N-A-L-D-I at sunacquisitions, S-U-N acquisitions.com. Feel free to reach out if I can help you in any way. Happy to try.
0: Yeah. And also do check out the content. You guys got a lot of good content on your website as well. And we'll put the links to that in the show notes and awesome. We'll have to have you back on maybe if we get post pandemic, whatever that's going to look like, see what's going on in the world and check in with the advisory and see how that's going. So Dominic, thank you very much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Hey, Brett, thanks for having me and keep up the great work. Awesome. Thanks. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too.